welcome to the God in the Wild series on the Idlewild podcast channel. God in the Wild explores the faith journeys of members of our community at Idlewild Presbyterian Church and how they see God at work in their lives. I am Elizabeth Doolin, and I hope you enjoy this episode. podcast on May 25th, 2020. My name is Will Gibbons, and I'm a lifelong member of Idlewild. I'm here today with Julia Gibbons, who has been a member of Idlewild for most of her adult life. Through all of that time, she served as a judge and currently sits on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals for the United States. Julia Gibbons is also my mother. Today, we'll talk about her faith and how the Idlewild community has helped shape that faith. And I have to say today, I'm grateful for digitized recording in the cloud today. Dad did something similar with his mother and I as a young child got into the cassette tapes and through an act of childhood mischief damaged that recording. It's probably good we've advanced technologically since that time. Mom, how are you doing today? Well, I'm fine. I've just spent three hours making my mother's potato salad recipe, which is pretty delicious, but is also an extremely time-consuming dish. Tell us about your experiences with faith growing up. I know Granny, talk about the cooking, I know Granny was pivotal in shaping that faith. What was your faith like growing up? Well, of course it was my mother, your granny, but it was really my whole family. I mean, I I could not have been more churched as a child. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Middle Tennessee, Pulaski, Tennessee, between seven and 8,000 people. We went to the First Methodist Church, the Church on the Square, beautiful church, and Every member of my family was involved in that church in some way, and each of them contributed to my faith. My, my grandparents lived with us when I was growing up. My grandfather was partially paralyzed due to a stroke, and the one place Granddaddy went was to Sunday school and church every Sunday, and it took quite an effort to get him there. In those days when uh, buildings were not, well, there weren't the legal protections that required buildings like churches and other uh, public buildings to be handicap accessible. It took quite an effort to get him there. That made a huge statement that that was the one place he went outside the home. I can remember listening to my grandmother in the last years of her life. I would sit outside her bedroom and she would be saying the 23rd Psalm or some other Uh, Bible passage to herself before she went to sleep and I would just kind of sit on the floor outside her door and listen to her. Of course we were at church every Sunday and my mother was taught full-time and so she was not as active in the church until her retirement years. I mean she attended always but she and she became completely immersed in all the life of the church everything from serving on the board of trustees to being very active in uh, the, the 
churches, women's organizations. There's a Julia Smith circle at that church named for my mother. And then, of course, my brother became United, who was 12 years older than I am, became United Methodist clergy. So I never, I bought it all. I never had a period of rebellion. I admit that I didn't go to church every single Sunday during college and law school. In fact, you might have said my attendance was somewhat sporadic. But if I was home, I was always going to be in church. And that habit has continued throughout my adult life. And how has that habit, that understanding of faith, evolved over time since your growing up years? Well, of course, one thinks more deeply and about things as one gets older. I became a judge when I was 30, and I became acutely aware that I needed to be, I needed to have a, to ask God for guidance in my work. Not asking God how to decide particular cases, but just overall asking him to give me the wisdom and the ability to do this job in the way it should be done. Last year, many of you know that I was very ill pretty much all summer was in the hospital for three months. And I have never been as grateful for or as aware of a community of faith and it's the effect its prayers could have on my life. And you know, it wasn't just people at Idlewild, although I heard from many folks at Idlewild, some of them uh, were serial card senders. You know, I'd get card after card after card. But even people, like people in my high school graduating class had members of their churches sign cards to me. It was the most deeply moving experience of my adult life. And um, fortunately, I say I'm here today by the grace of God and the prayers of the people. I agree. As a caretaker, and I think Dad and Carrie would agree, we felt lifted up by the church in a way that nothing else had lifted us up prior to that. And there's just a different meaning to it when it's somebody from your faith community compared to somebody at work or out on the streets. There's just a different level to it, I felt like. How has, how, going back to your judicial career, how does your faith show up in your decision making as a judge? Well, obviously, you don't, you know, we're secular courts and we don't invoke what are specifically religious principles in deciding cases. However, if you think about it, many of the principles that we acquire through our religion, and particularly religion at a church like Idlewild, that's just a part and parcel of the whole Judeo-Christian ethic. And our court system is permeated with various aspects. Our laws are permeated with various concepts about the way people should be treated and uh, all sorts of other things. And so I think one of the things, you know, I, I've had, when I was a trial judge, 
I didn't have criminal jurisdiction in the, for the two years I was in the state court, but during my 19 years as a federal district judge, I saw plenty of criminal defendants, uh, many who had done things that were very horrible for our community, like the drug dealers, or people who had done horrible things to other individuals, whether it was a violent act or just some sort of white collar fraud that had damaged many people uh, financially. And I tried, no matter how flawed the individual was, to remember that this was a child of God standing before me who had ought to be treated with the dignity and the humanity that he deserved to be accorded. Even, even if I was doing things that were really hard, like handing out a life sentence, I always tried to make sure that I didn't berate the individual, that I treated him in such a way that was, a way that was dispassionate, but one that recognized the adversities in his life and adversities don't ins don't excuse serious criminal conduct but nevertheless I think it helps if the person knows that you value his dignity as a person even if you're doing just the toughest things that could happen to an individual. What first drew you to Idlewild? Well it's a you know it's it's sort of a convoluted story. Uh, when Bill's family moved to Memphis when he was a teenager, his family consisting of himself and his mother, he had older siblings who were no longer at home, his mother, he and his mother began to attend Idlewild. I'm not sure whether his mother had, I'm sure his mother was a lifelong Presbyterian. I'm not sure whether she had been in Idlewild prior to the time uh, she lived in Arkansas. However, she graduated from Southwestern, now Rhodes, so I'm just not sure that I know, he would know, but I'm not sure I know those details. But that was where he wanted to go. Well, you know, I had moved to Memphis, which was my husband's town, his place where he wanted to live, uh, and I sort of wanted to keep the rest of my identity intact. I didn't want to do things just because Bill wanted me to. Moving to Memphis had been a big decision for me, and I was sort of inclined to dig in my heels about all the rest. But I started visiting Methodist churches in Memphis on my own, and ultimately, we were in Memphis from 1976 to 1979, then spent two and a half years in Nashville. By the time we came back to Memphis, we had a six-month-old baby, Carrie, and I knew that I wanted us all to be in church as a family, and I realized that I really liked Idlewild more than I did the Methodist churches in town that I had been visiting. So I'm very happy that I did join Idlewild and have been a member since. I joined, I think, in February of 1982. That might be a little off, but I think that's right. And what has kept you engaged? That's a broad question. Well, primarily worship. Uh, I, there have been periods in my adult life when I've been active in church committee work, 
was on the session for a time, but in more recent years, since our court sits in Cincinnati and I've had such a busy travel schedule, I've been less involved in those kinds of uh, activities at church. But worship continues to be the thing that gets my mind and heart right for the week. There was worship, but then from my standpoint, I think you and Dad were big on involving Carrie and me in recreation activities, uh, different vacation Bible schools. Oh, yeah. You all, all did all the normal things that a child who's brought up in a church does. I mean, it was very, we were very fortunate that Idlewild at that time had such an active recreation program. You did, you did do Sunday school. You did vacation Bible school. You did outdoor challenge. You did youth groups. Uh, I will say that you are a more enthusiastic athlete and also a more enthusiastic participant in church in youth groups than Carrie was, but nevertheless, I think you both benefited a lot. And Carrie was particularly, you know, Dr. Strzok died two days ago. And yes. Carrie was particularly affected by that because she remembered being in church every Sunday and her ritual was that every Sunday she would draw a picture of Dr. Strzok and then she would give it to him as she left the sanctuary after worship. And through that, she just felt a special bond with Dr. Strzok. That was pretty exceptional. Yes. She actually went back and found a, a photograph of Dr. Strzok when he was pastoring a church in uh, Pennsylvania. A very handsome photograph of him as a young man. So she was doing a bit of internet research. And I'll say for me, the recreation, anyone who's been through the Idlewild Recreation Program knows it's, it reaches far beyond the membership of Idlewild. And I would say as an adult in Memphis now, I'm thankful every day for my experiences playing basketball, soccer and baseball in Ottawa, working with the return baseball for the inner city program. It's paid dividends as an adult and helps me kind of understand Memphis. Uh, how has the pandemic impacted your life? Well, of course, I'm at home a lot more. I'm working mostly remotely. Um, I did the first week, I went in a little bit just to try, I had to get some things sort of organized so I could work from home. And then I went in another time to do a video argument. We had a sitting, my period for sitting was the first week in May, and we did most of the arguments by telephone, which of course was a big change from having the judges on the panel and the lawyers all together in person. And then we did this one video argument and the video argument was, and the other video arguments that were done during that sitting period were so far superior to being on the phone that we will, I think everybody is, has concluded that we need to do video arguments going forward. But I have, I've, I've, much to my surprise, 
I've learned to be productive at home. Uh, I have Zoom meetings with my staff three times a week. It's not, we don't talk much about work during those. That's more just a touch base with each other, make sure everybody's doing all right, uh, trying to find out what everybody's doing. Sometimes the answer is not much, but, uh, or doesn't seem like much. But frankly, I'm busy. I'm and, and very, very constantly aware of how fortunate we are, secure employment, we're all healthy, but also acutely aware of how many people are not in that situation and our hearts go out to them. We, Will is doing some hands-on things to help like participating in the food distribution effort at Idlewild. Bill and I are less active in that way, but have been thinking about uh, some ways in which we might increase our charitable giving, targeting some organizations that will provide help to people who are most seriously affected by the pandemic. You know, I think probably though for myself, if your biggest complaint is that you are cooking more often than you would like to, that's not much of a complaint. Carrie and James are refugees from New York and are here with us. And uh, Will comes over quite a bit for dinner. And cooking for five is not my norm, but if that's the worst, so be it. And obviously having the children around so much has many positive uh, aspects. Has the, has the pandemic impacted your understanding of the church? I'm amazed at what the church has done. Just absolutely amazed at how Idlewild has galvanized itself to continue many of the outreach activities, the food distribution, the more than a meal, to recreate a sense of church community in a different way through the 1750 prayers, through the other opportunities that are akin to Sunday school, and the very creative way that Sunday worship has been handled. The joining with other congregations has been so meaningful. Everything from the shots of folks passing the peas to bringing the children into the children's time in a different way, sometimes on camera. I've loved the books and the theme of the children's sermons. I've loved the joining with other congregations. I've loved this sermon series. I mean, I was particularly moved by Sarah's sermon yesterday. It's, it's just been wonderful. I mean, everything down to whoever is uh, wielding that camera and focusing on the architectural details of our beautiful sanctuary and making sure to include a shot of the flowers, a close-up shot of the flowers yes. every week. I'm, I'm just thrilled with every detail of it. I agree. I had always appreciated Anne and the clergy, but the combination of 
the clergy's response to the pandemic with all we went through last summer within the past year and we're coming up on the year anniversary of your emergency room visit the first night so within the past year I've just come to hold Anne and the clergy in extremely high regard they're just very important to our family well and just the creative and thoughtful and active ways in which they've held us together as a church family during this time. Uh, I do hope that at some point I'll know how to say hello on Sunday morning remotely, but I haven't figured quite figured that one out yet. Where do you see Christ at work in your life during this time? I think it's been very useful. Probably everybody needs periods in your life where you have a little more space just to think. And one of the things I've had an opportunity to think about is faith and and how I might do a better job of incorporating some other faith rituals in addition to going to church on Sunday morning and how I might incorporate uh, being a more active servant into what is otherwise a really busy life. So I hope that it has some, that this time has some benefits in the way I serve the church and God long-term. And for a fun question, if you were stuck on a deserted island, what three things would you want with you? Well, I'm glad I had a little bit of advance notice you were going to ask me that. (laughs) I finally decided that I couldn't start itemizing my creature comforts in answer to that question, but I will say that I am not uh, much of an outdoors person, but I was a Girl Scout and I hoped that I could manage to dig deep into my brain and find all those things I learned in Girl Scouts and that I could manage to provide, you know, food, water, warmth, whatever in the in a on a deserted island and so I thought at the end of the day I would probably take books one of those would be a Bible but I think I'd have a hard time getting by without several books very good and earlier you mentioned grace of God and prayers of the people and this last question made me think of the beads story and I know you've since distributed those beads, but could you tell us the bead story? Yes, I'll probably cry. Um, The first Sunday I was back at church, which was the first Sunday I got out of the, after I got out of the hospital on a Friday, and I was determined that I was going to be at church on Sunday. I was in a wheelchair still, can't remember if I managed to get out of it to sit in the pew or if I just stayed in the wheelchair. I think I got out of it to sit in the pew, but at any event, and Anne was standing in the new part of the church when I was wheeled in, and she took off some beads she was wearing, and she gave them to me, and she said, Julia, these are the prayers of the people, and 
that I responded by the grace of God and the prayers of the people. And then Anne wrote me a note explaining about the beads. And she had put them together over a number of years, gathering different kinds of beads on trips with her family. And I thought, Anne should have these beads back. So I wrote her a note and I said, Anne, you know, I, I should not, I feel I should give you back these beads. It's meant a lot to me to have them. They're a, a poignant reminder of um, how I got through this time. And she said to me the following Sunday, after the after worship, she said, no, Julia, she said, you keep those beads and you'll know when the time has come to pass them on to someone else. Well, the someone else I found is Pam Reeves, who lives in Knoxville. She's a federal district judge there, a good friend of mine, very active in uh, the Tennessee Bar Association before she became a judge. Uh, so she has a lot of friends here in Memphis. And Pam has had a very serious battle with cancer. And it appeared that she was very much on the road to a complete recovery. There was a lot of joy among her friends and acquaintances. And then around Christmas time, she had a real setback, which I believe was a surprise to um, her doctors and to her, to Pam and her family. And when I found out about that, I first called uh, Claudia Haltom, whom I'm sure many of you know, and who is a close friend of Pam's, to just kind of get the lay of the land. And then I ultimately called Pam and I told her I had something for her. And I knew from talking to Claudia that she and Pam had had several conversations about the sort of shallow prayer that's come to be known, thoughts and prayers, which since sincerely offered, there's nothing wrong with the phrase, but it seems to be offered often in a way that is more perfunctory and we've come to recognize that. So I knew that Pam didn't want any thoughts and prayers that were perfunctory in nature. So I told her about my experience and how much my community of faith and the larger community of friends and family had meant to me during this difficult time. And I reminded her that, you know, she had a, a similar support group of friends who cared deeply about her and that I was going to send the beads to her, and I hoped the beads would be for her, as they had been for me, a reminder of the prayers of the people. And so I boxed them up, took a few fine photos of them as I sent them off, and uh, sent them off to Pam probably early earlier this year. And Pam is continuing to come to Nashville, to Vanderbilt, for chemotherapy regularly. Uh, she seems for now to be doing well. I'm keeping her in my prayers and I ask that you keep her in your prayers as well, even though some of you do not know her. Many of you may not know her. When I love that story, I think 
symbols like that are important, especially during this time. And I think they're a way to keep us all connected in a time period when we don't get to see each other in person, whether it's in worship or in other settings. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Mom, before we... No, I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad we're not a while. I'm glad that's our church. I'm glad you and I have had a minute to sit down, a busy Memorial Day, and talk to each other about this. And I'm glad we did it. I hope it contributes in some small way to this project at Ottawa. Well, thank you, Mom, for joining the podcast today. And thank you to our listeners near and far. I hope you all have a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God in the Wild. If you'd like to be involved, whether through leading an interview or nominating someone whose story you would like to hear, please contact me, Elizabeth Doolin, at edoolin at idlewildchurch.org. May God be with you out in the wild.